Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Zach Farrenbaugh of The Hunting Public. Zach is a master of the ground game when it comes to hunting whitetails. So I talked with him specifically on spot and stock hunting whitetails in the open country of the West. We discussed what deer like in the open country, where to focus your time, glassing strategies, and how to close the deal. Today's episode is brought to you by Spartan Forge. The Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic, and state research. They're using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area to make sure that you are hunting on the best days. The Outfitter is available online and will become in app soon. The price will increase at that point, but if you buy it now, you're locked into the lower rate. You can use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off of the Outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. They have mobile hunting gear options for all types of hunters and continue to push the envelope. To learn more about Tethered and saddle hunting, head over to tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through their direct consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job period the products are back with a lifetime no fault warranty and an incredible customer experience i'm using the b2 9x45 binos in all my western hunts it's a low light monster allowing you to see through the binos longer than you can even with your naked eye if you use the coupon code east meets west dash gift you get a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com all right, so I just wanted to start off by announcing that as I'm as I'm recording this, as you're listening to this, I will be in Colorado, should be sitting up on a, a mountain, uh, depending on when you're listening to it, either right before the season opens or during the season. So hopefully got a buck picked out for opening day here. Um, so recording this a couple weeks ahead of time. With that being said, any online orders for apparel or anything off the East meets West hunt store, uh, will take a couple weeks to ship because I am a one man show. And if I'm in the mountains, I can't really ship product. So if you please be patient with me, I will get all the orders out when I come back. So I just appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, thanks for, for, uh, sticking with me during that. And then also I wanted to announce something that uh, the National Deer Association had put out to, to be able to help us specifically in Pennsylvania, but really anybody from any state can help in this. So if you're not familiar with this, Pennsylvania does not allow Sunday hunting, except for a couple years ago, they introduced where you could have, or actually it was just last year, allow three Sundays. Um, but we want that was a good, you know, step in the right direction. But I, I think most hunters, not all, but a lot of hunters would like to have it for all the Sundays. And if you're in a state that has Sunday hunting, you're like, what? That seems ridiculous and, and old school. And, and again, my opinion, it is. So Pennsylvania Senate Bill 607 
was introduced by Senator Dan Lachlan. And they would make it lawful for a person to hunt any fur bear or game on a Sunday on and after the publication of a final regulation by the Pennsylvania Game Commission. So this would be a huge win for hunters and the Game Commission. Like I said, the first time last fall, Pennsylvania, we were able to have hunt deer on two Sundays and black bear one Sunday. But the National Deer Association supports the repeal of Sunday hunting prohibitions. And there's a quick and easy way to be able to to show your support for that and actually have action rather than just complaining about it. You can head over to DeerAssociation.com. Their action alert, support Sunday hunting in Pennsylvania article. There's a little click here portion. You just fill out quick. It takes two seconds to fill out your information there. And they send out a pre-written letter, which you can read it before they send it out. Um, and it's it's will really help of a you know, a sort of petition to show the people that are supporting this and show how many we really want to, you know, boost the hunter engagement and not be, you know, the, the silent ones with this. If, if you're really for it, I think it would, would really help. I mean, a a recent study by the national shooting sports foundation found that Sunday hunting could create over 8,000 new jobs and pump $764 $764 million in the state's economy includes the impact that your traditional outdoor industries, as well as other businesses such as restaurants, gas stations, hotels, and others along those lines. I think it's, it, there's a lot of benefit for everybody, not just, um, selfish reasons for wanting to hunt an extra day. But anyways, that, that could be an entire podcast, which I've done on, on this specific topic. But head over there, check it out. And I'll even put a, a link here in the description. So check it out if if it's, but if I forget to put it in, then you know where to find it. But anyways, all right, on today's episode, I have Zach Fehrenbach coming back to talk. And I am super pumped to share this one with you. Zach is an infectious person. I love interviewing these type of people. He's super positive. He's a really, really talented hunter and thinks of things outside the box. I think you'll get a lot of value out of it. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And hopefully, um, when you listen to this, I'm going to be putting a stock on a big muley. Have a good one. All right, we're live. Zach Farinbaugh, welcome back, man. Yeah, thanks. I'm happy to be talking about I mean, deer hunting, hunting in general, man, we're getting there. It's getting close. It is getting close. And, uh, it's funny. I, the last time I had you on, on my podcast was last fall. I believe that we, we had a chat, but I just talked to you not too long ago on the hunting public podcast. Mm-hmm. It was good to, good to get to catch up with you a little bit there. And I was like, Hey, I need to, you need to cut some time out for me before season gets <laughs> rolling out. <laughs> yeah, I actually just got, I just got a message like yesterday, I think, um, somebody giving feed positive feedback on that podcast. And there has been pretty consistent since we recorded it. Just the guy specifically said, thanks for giving me confidence for hunting Creek bottoms in the right situation. I was like, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. That, that one, that, that one that we did last fall, that's my third most downloaded episode. And the feedback I got from it was everybody was just like, Man, like you guys, well, we, I titled it Making Hunting Fun Again and just like made it just not overthink things and just go with it. And I, I, I loved that conversation. I thought it was, I thought it was solid. 
Oh yeah, it was a blast, man. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so what what do you got going on here? I know with you living kind of out west now, you're going to be doing a little bit of western stuff to get get rolling here. Yeah, first thing is we're doing two different pronghorn trips this year. A group of us is going back to South Dakota. We hunted there last year. But the way the season f- falls this year, it's like a, basically a week later. And I also I have a New Mexico tag that starts early September, so trying to fit stuff in in August with going on a hunt, editing, and just all the other like you know repacking for a different trip. I was like, if I go back to South Dakota, it's going to be tough. So I'm not going with the rest of the group, but Ted, Hayden, a couple of the interns, and I think I think Greg's going. Maybe even Jake. I don't know. You know, kind of all over the place, but. <laughs> those guys are going up there and they're going to start there um and then they're going to go to wyoming for deer they have white some of them have white tail tags and but i'll be starting this sunday um colorado's pronghorn archery season opens and grant who was an intern for us back in 2019 he's got a tag and it should be a pretty fun hunt uh he's got at least at least five days to go so we're going to get after it and that'll be kind of the kickoff. And then I'll take a, take a break from hunting and do a bunch of editing, <laughs> get all the editing done for that. And then I'll be able to hopefully head down to New Mexico early and start scouting for deer. Cause I have a fork antler deer tag for New Mexico. So what does that mean? It basically <laughs> means you can just shoot a fork. If it has a fork antler, you can shoot it. So it's not necessarily species specific, which is, I don't think really matters. I think it's going to be mule deer from what I can tell. Yeah. Uh, which I'm excited about, but in New Mexico, they do have coos, whitetail and, um, mule deer. Okay. I, I don't know if I've ever heard of anybody shooting a whitetail in New Mexico. There, I mean, it makes sense why they're there. You know, if you really look at like where you could kill a whitetail in like, Colorado, um, you know, it's kind of the same habitat right there. So they're definitely there, but you know, I think it's very pocketed, Yeah. but, um, you know, they just kind of trickle, you know, their whitetail are really starting to trickle kind of all over the place. It's kind of weird, like being out here more and just seeing whitetail in weird spots. You're like, man, I wouldn't expect them to be there, but they're there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't have much of an expectation for New Mexico. I kind of got the tag on kind of on accident, I would say. I didn't really plan, like, put it into the schedule. I was just like, oh, there's no way I'll get this. And I just went for it, and I got it, which I'm totally stoked about. Like, the more summer's gone on, the more I'm like, man, I'm actually maybe as excited about that as anything because it's new. I've never even stepped foot in New Mexico. I've been close, but I've never went all the way down there and – um hoping to get down there a little bit early, like I said, to do some scouting beforehand and just get an idea of like water sources, I think is going to be a big thing. And then just, you know, where deer are in general and just poke around have some fun, get aggressive. Don't really have much of an expectation on antlers or anything. It's like, Hey, I got a fork antler deer tag. Here we go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> that, that's awesome. Yeah. It's, 
I, I wasn't sure when it's fork antler deer. I was like, is it you only allowed to shoot like like in an elk zone where it's spike only? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's just it's just is like a like their most broad deer tag. They have you know they I'm I'm pretty sure you can specify another other tags, but yeah, um, but yeah, that, and then after that, I'm gonna try to crank out editing those videos and then turn around and just basically try to elk hunt as much as I can for, um, man, pretty much the rest of the month is, is really all I have planned out. And, you know, I figure we'll go in and hunt for, you know, five or seven days at a time, probably come back out and kind of regroup, get some more food. And then just based off what's going on, just keep adjusting. You know, we just got, enough of a window and like my one buddy Colin he's kind of like the he's kind of like the best example of what someone you know could be in my opinion as far as like you know I'm lucky enough that I get to do this for my job but Colin just tells his boss like hey like I'm out for the rest of this month like I'm going and like you can leave me you can fire me or you know I come back when I'm come back but like I'm going and doing this. And he does it, you know, successfully. He's not completely <laughs> broke. So, uh, he's doing that. Ben, my other buddy who's coming out, he's got, um, he's a forester for the state of Ohio. And then he goes out on fire crew out West. Mm-hmm. So he gets like, just piles up comp time and, uh, he's going to be able to take off a bunch of time. He's thinking like pretty much two weeks. And then Jake, obviously, uh, from the hunting public, like he's obviously able to go as much, you know, as much as he can. And then, um, uh, Roy, I think uh, one of the new interns is he just got a hold of me yesterday. He's like, dude, I want to go. So <laughs> trying, to get him, trying to get him enough gear to get going and it should be fun. Group of five going in there four elk tags, just getting wild with it. It's going to be a blast, man. I'm like so excited about it. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's going to be fun. Especially going with a group of guys on a trip like that is just, is such a blast. Especially people that are new to it too. Like getting them to to see it and experience it. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. (laughs) It's going to be funny too. Cause like, I don't know how much Jake knows, like how steep it's going to be. And Jake's afraid of heights. So he's going to be in some pretty hilarious positions i'm sure there's going to be some knee knocking going on when we're going up some of those faces but it'll be all right yeah we won't play it. we'll play, we'll play it aggressive but we won't play it unsafe yeah I, I, <laughs> hey like the first time i went out and I, I still don't love heights and i was scared to death and i got on like some of those open faces and now like they're they're not really anything because I've done it now. But at first, I was like holding on to the side, looking for stuff to grab a hold of, like almost having anxiety attacks. And then, uh, you know, then as you get used to it, you, you realize your risk isn't really what you you were making it out to be in your head. It's just so different. Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's different. Well, it's funny because it's funny because you're probably in very similar steepness in a lot of stuff in PA or like you know, Ohio or they even have it in Wisconsin, you know, it's just that amount of steep. It's just that the hill keeps going down a lot further. (laughs) (laughs) That's the big difference. So like I always just say, look at your immediate surroundings, right? It's like, if I can keep walking and if I would do this in Ohio on this steepness, you know, I'm going to, I should do it here because 
ultimately the consequence is probably about the same. You know, I mean, obviously, obviously, if you got to rolling, you could really <laughs> roll. But I, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I figure it's still pretty dangerous either way if you're in that steep country. It's just like watch your immediate step, take her easy, and you'd probably be all right. And if not, then. Hey, what's life without a little risk, right? Yeah, and your your awareness level is so high when you're in those types of places. Like you, oh. you're so. I I honestly think I'm safer in some of that steep country than I am walking on flat ground because when I'm not thinking, I'm as clumsy as hell. Like it's just okay. it's terrible. So <laughs> yeah, same thing. Like I walk around when I'm when I'm in stuff I'm comfortable in and like in my comfort zone. It's just like sometimes when I'm moving fast, like scouting or something. It's just like blumbering around. Yeah. there yeah it's like real particular grabbing things and taking perfect steps but yeah that's it's fun man it's fun but it's definitely different yeah oh definitely man that's that's awesome and um do you do you have any uh western whitetail trips planned this year yeah then then the next thing that i'll probably do is um i gotta go back for a wedding in early october so um, terrible. I may like squeak in some Ohio stuff at that time, just depending on the situation. And I mean, it just really depends, but then I'm going to go to South Dakota and do some whitetail hunting there. Well, that's, that's a, that's a either species tag, but I mean, it'll just depend, you know, like I, I'm primarily going to be targeting whitetails, but like if I see a big mealy, I'm not going to not, gonna, not yeah. shy yeah. away from that either. So, yeah. Uh, and just hunt deer, you know? Yeah. So first of all, it must be a pretty good friend for you to go to a wedding in, in October. Yeah, man. And he, it's funny, actually, my one, my one buddy is getting married in September on September 24th. And he's, he's from Pennsylvania. Um, and he, uh, told me, he's just like, dude, I don't want you to go. He's like, I don't want you to. He's like, I want you to go hunting. I'd rather watch videos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, my one, my one other buddy that I'm, I'm in his wedding on October first is the date. So I'm in his wedding. So it's one of those ones. It's like, yeah, yeah, I better go. But uh, yeah, it's difficult when when you hunt all the time to try to like squeeze in weddings, man. It's oh, a challenge. Yeah. I sometimes get in. I sometimes like feel like I'm missing or, you know, I'm, I'm being a punk because I'm missing out on certain things. And like, there's just certain windows that it's like, nope, I can't do it. Like, you know, early September, if that's the wedding, like last year, my girlfriend wanted me to go to a wedding with her and I wanted to go, but it's like, it's like right in that window. And it was like September 5th. It's like, oh. I think I actually, yeah, some, I shot a buck in North Dakota, like right either the day or, you know, right around that time frame. So, you know, it's, <laughs> that's the time that I got to be out. But, and, and, you know, maybe like November, like 12th or something would be probably pretty impossible. But there's just certain times of the year, man, that's like no go for weddings. But yeah, go on. I, I have one, a guy at work actually just gave me an invitation for, it's the first day of archery. And I looked at him cause he's a big hunter. I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, she said either the third week, of October or the first week. And I was like, well, I get it. But like, I, 
I apologize. Like, I, I can't go. And he's like, and he's like, Oh, I understand. He's like, I, this is just kind of a courtesy. Um, you know, here's the card type of deal. And, uh, and, and I, I'll, I'll like middle of October, I could see myself, like I had a couple weeks of hunting in, like I can, uh, I can spare that if they're a good yeah. friend. And then, but after that, November, not, not a freaking chance. I don't care. Yeah, it's my my cousin Mason, who I'm going on this Colorado hunt with, and everything. He, um, he, he got a a trophy for this big buck contest they were in, and it, it under his name it said "No Wedding Mason" because he one of his like really good friends was getting married like right around November eighth or whatever, and he killed a buck that time frame, and uh, <laughs> so that's they were joking about it, but <laughs> but the best way to ever show up to a wedding would be shoot shoot a buck fill your tag for the you know like your statewide buck tag or something for that on that day and then roll up to the wedding like party you know yeah with, with <laughs> on, buck in the back. <laughs> yeah pull everybody from the wedding out like out of the ceremony check this out <laughs> that's, that's cool congrats you'll be with her forever like come look at my buck i just got this <laughs> <laughs> oh man i would probably that's actually totally something i could see myself doing yeah <laughs> yeah in my uh my little hick town that i live in that probably wouldn't even get like anyway blink an eye, blink an eye at no no that'd be completely normal really i mean especially if they were if, especially if they were having the wedding during both season it's like oh yeah like you know that guy's going to be gone. That guy's going to be there hunting. So like, it's not really, uh, not much of a surprise. He rolls up with this, with this buck he just shot. Yeah. My, my, um, uh, yeah, there's, there's been a couple, couple situations like that where I, sh- I shot a buck in 2015 and my buddy that was hunting the same area as me literally had a baby the day before. And he's like, I'll come help track. I was like, no, like that's not a good idea. And <laughs> he, he ended he showed up, he came out to help track. And I was like, oh man, your wife hates you. <laughs> he's like, I can't miss this. <laughs> Uh, but anyways so zach i want to talk to you a little bit about um some of the you know spot and stock whitetail game um probably one of the most epic videos i watched last year was the one in north dakota that you had and i I just kind i want to start out by just like that's such weird whitetail country like not what you typically think of so like how did you know a guy from ohio kind of even look at a like the land and understand like how to attack it i've been lucky enough to spend a fair amount of time out west because i've been coming out here for four years now consistently um you know and just honestly driving around a lot scouting just anytime i get a chance to like go on to a pizza public and just say hey are there whitetails here have taught me a lot about just picking like exact spots where I think whitetails are going to be in the West, you know, there's a certain line where it, it changes to where it becomes very much open country and, you know, very little like traditional whitetail habitat. You know, when you, when you think of, I mean, I would say a huge, I mean, it's definitely a huge percentage, if not like, I mean, it's the majority, right? The majority hunts in either farmland or Eastern Hills. Um, and, I would say, you know, when you think of a typical whitetail habitat, you're thinking of like oak trees and 
um, maple trees and you know rolling hills and some agriculture crp type stuff but it's like you kind of get to a certain point where it just turns into almost desert and you start seeing pronghorn you start seeing mule deer but then every once in a while you hit this patch and you're like that's a whitetail you know there's there, there's something about this habitat so you know as time goes on you just get a bunch of those you know uh examples and it's like you start to be able to pick even, I mean, man, I've been in places in, in like Wyoming, for example, just random places driving through Wyoming and all of a sudden there's whitetail there and there's just this tiny little band to cover. But basically what I got to the point of looking for is, is anywhere where there's some water and that can be a marsh or a river is like a, um, you know, kind of a shoe in, but I would say a river that's like a permanent river and, and you can tell what's permanent and what's not by looking at, like I use Onyx and I use that topo mode. I'll just flip it to topo. And if there's a solid blue line versus a dotted blue line, that's basically telling me, okay, that's a, a stream of some sort that holds water all year. Now, if there's something that I think like, for example, it's a dotted line, but I can zoom in and I can see water on the map even sporadic water, like some Western streams, you know, they have a run at a certain point of the year throughout the summer, they start to die off, but then, you know, drain out or whatever and dry up, but then there'll still be like a slough in there. You know, if I can see on the aerial photo that there's a slough and there's still some like cattails or something, that might be enough to hold the whitetail. You know, the mule deer will just kind of be spread out everywhere. Um, And this is every state. This isn't just North Dakota or South Dakota or, or Nebraska, whatever, like Wyoming's another one, um, Colorado, whatever. The list goes on and on. But if you find areas where there's water, that's like the number one start. Whitetails are always around water out in those those types of uh, states and, and habitat. So what I started doing in North Dakota was like, and, and Jake, Jake had hunted in North Dakota the year prior, but in a totally different part of the state so we went into it like him and i knew we were hunting together we both love stock and he had stocked had an incredible stock the year before in a uh in like a what do they even call that canola in a canola field um shot a bucket like point blank it was awesome like the, the, that's that's like you know, such a sweet video too but um anyhow we we went into it like we're going to stalk a bedded buck and we're going to crawl up to him. Like that was just the whole mentality going in. Like, you know, we would, we would obviously been happy to get one in any fashion, but you know, the whole strategy was get on a point where we can see a lot around a water source and then just be able to make moves on them, uh, just based off what we're seeing from those glassing points. And, um, you know, we just kind of picked permanent water sources and, just started bouncing around them as much as possible, just trying to find whitetail. I'm like, there's a lot of places we went where we didn't find many deer or, um, you know, maybe not anything that, you know, there was times too where I'm sure we saw some deer, but, you know, we weren't catching all of them. We were maybe seeing some of the smaller bucks, but we never picked up on the bigger bucks. But then we finally started getting into some spots where we're like, okay, we can really see the whole world here. Um, and that's kind of where we started, ended up zoning in on a little bit more. And that, so really the, the number one thing is just water and like, it can be a slough, it can be a, a lake, it can be, um, you know, what I like, like the most is river just because there's, 
you know, it's a travel corridor too, but, um, yeah, that's kind of how we started like zoning in. Yeah. And I mean, in those areas, I'm assuming like when there's water, then the ground's better. So there's trees and they're able to grow and gives you that cover in that, you know, it could be miles and miles of open country, but it seems like at least when I was like in Montana and driving through some of these other States, like where there was water, there was trees versus the other areas that are all open. Um, Yeah. And sometimes in some Western States too, there's like you can even follow like on the aerial photography, you can follow the pivots. You know, if you're looking at the circles on the, you know, the big pivot circles that are ag fields, you know, a lot of times there'll be a river snaking through that or somewhere close to that water source. And, you know, that's a big thing that I look for a lot too, is just, um, just water that, or, or I'm sorry, at different vegetation types too, that the deer like, they like, um, they seem to really enjoy or like spending time around cottonwoods too. So if you can find like a big patch of cottonwoods on a map, that's something that I'm drawn to as well. And that's usually just because the water's there again, like you can even find like a tiny, tiny little section of, uh, Creek bottom that looks like nothing on the map, but it's got a line of cottonwoods or, um, I've even just seen actually a couple of years ago, we shot a buck in Nebraska. Um, very, very similar, well, similar to North Dakota in the fact that it's like very dry out there. But we had targeted this big marsh way back and on public, and there was just a patch of cottonwoods that we could see on the map. It didn't even have a stream going through it. It was just close to like marshy habitat. Again, you know, slough or something like that. If you can see that wet stuff on the map that's a start and they were bedded under those cottonwood trees when we first spotted them and then made a move around them and got them. But it was, I mean, pretty much the same thing. You're looking for that water source, looking for the big trees, looking for the change of, because again, if it's all dry, there's like a lot of stuff that's just not food for them. There's just no, no, that's a big part of Western hunting in general, whether you're hunting elk or, or deer, really, it's like, you got to have some sort of food source and yeah. moisture is what creates that food source. You know, it's like if you're looking at every plant type and you look at how it changes as you start to get into a depression, everything gets a little greener in that depression, but up on the hill, it can be completely fried, you know, and then you get down to where that little depression you follow that depression down to where there's like a little slough or like a cattle reservoir or something. And all of a sudden there's like all kinds of green vegetation and, and everything has to obviously use that for water, but also uses that change in vegetation to feed. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Like you said, it, it, that goes across the board, no matter what species it is, uh, you know, across the, the West and definitely makes sense. And when you were like, so when you found these big glassing knobs, did you have to spend quite a bit of time behind the glass, like before you were finding deer or was it? I, I, I don't know. You know, I, I've, no, which is funny. I mean, I felt like, I feel like it could, but actually, so, so what, so specifically in North Dakota, I referenced a lot. I was referencing just stuff that I've scouted in Colorado for whitetail. Um, some of the stuff I've scouted in Colorado has been like this very, distinct change in habitat when you get right up against the river and i'm talking like a couple feet in elevation you'll notice that there'll be this big change in what's growing there like 
for example, if you're up on like above the bank of the water, so whatever stream's going through, you're actually up on like where the cottonwoods are growing and there's some of that lower brush, but then there's also like a level down from that usually. And later in the summer, um, basically on the only time that it's not underwater is in, uh, or excuse me, the only time that it is underwater is like when the snow melt in early spring, right? Yeah. So that water will come up and cover these areas, but most of the year the water's low enough that there's like a le- level between the, like we actually truly hop up on the bank. Then there's like a layer down where it's just sediment and stuff like old channels used to go through there and there's just old sediment and it's a different type of ground. Therefore you got a different type of plant. And it was like, it's kind of like a willowy, brushy, high stem count thing. And when we would go to North Dakota, or when we were in North Dakota and we would go to these areas, I was looking right into those things. Like I wasn't spending a bunch of time like getting this broad, broad scale. It was like, we're looking in this very specific buffer right along the river. And like Jake and I hiked in the day that, the day before we killed the buck, because we'd kind of been moving around eliminating areas, hunting in some other areas. And we got back there and it was like, as soon as we sat down, we started looking right into that specific vegetation type. And we spotted deer moving around in it, just like browsing around. They'd bed back down and, you know, towards evening, they all kind of got up and moved. But I wouldn't say we spent a bunch of time, but we had a very specific plan going in. referencing past experiences. So like if you had never seen that, you may spend a little more time looking around, but um, yeah. it's kind of funny what ended up happening and I'll, I'll loop back to that. I'm sure. But like, we didn't necessarily, we weren't looking exactly where that bigger buck was, which is kind of interesting. So it didn't take a lot of time to find deer, but it took a decent amount of time to find the bigger one. And he was just doing something different, which is very interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and that's such good information because like when you get in, in one of these spots where you can see you know, basically miles in any direction, like it can be overwhelming to try to figure out where to look at and spend most of your time. But it makes sense. I mean, cover food, water, all in that location that uh, that's where you were spending your time glassing. I think just referencing like past um, experiences. I mean, you could even reference something if, even if you were from Kentucky and you'd never even been in North Dakota or you'd never been out West and, had like a similar experience to what I had scouting and, and know exactly what you're targeting. It's like anytime it would get a, like a little denser, you know, I'm paying attention more to that edge versus like, there's just certain stuff that's like, you know, you can zip through. I, I guess I have a glassing strategy of basically I sit down with a pair of binoculars and I look at like, you know, my eyes are wide open. I'm looking at everything big real fast and it's just like blasting through. And then if, it's, if I'm wanting to get more particular, I get down on a spotter and I'll really look into that cover um, and just dissect every little thing. Because, I mean, it's it's so classic and like I feel like it's – I feel like you know, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like when you're a kid and you're reading the magazine about like glassing up big bucks, it's like, you know – don't forget to look into every nook and cranny because it might just take one ear flip or one antler tine to be sticking up. And it's like, yeah, but what does that mean? And like, yeah. what it means is, it's just like be obsessive about it. You know, that's like, that's a, it, it's, it's like 
do it to the point where you're like, you know, sick. If you think if you're if you're true, you truly believe one's in there. He probably is in there, and just like don't give up on it and keep looking because like all of a sudden it might just dawn on you the light changes or something like. Um, another buck that I stalked up in his bed and shot was, uh, in Nebraska a couple of years ago. And I knew that he was in this, well, I, I knew he was in the patch of cover a couple of days prior because in this particular piece of public, you could, you could drive through it. There was like a, a sand road that went through it and we got there and we were just driving through to see if there was good enough. Like basically we're actually just checking to see if there's water and we saw we saw a pretty nice buck jump up and out of the cover. We saw a doe jump up and out of the cover, and we went to turn. The, I was like, we need to get out of here. Like, if there's deer in here, like they're coming back to this bedding area, but we got to turn around and get out of here. And as we turn around to leave, a way bigger one jumped up and out of that bedding area and took off out of you know into the cedars. And we were like you know, whoa, that was a big one. Kind of freaked out and ended up <laughs> slipping back in there that night, <laughs> slipping back in there that night, saw the smaller of the two bucks. Um, and then left that evening, the next day hunted a different area. The next morning, the following morning hunted a different area. And then like a couple of, so it would have been a couple evenings from the original bump. We looped back into that spot and, my mentality, so, so just to like kind of tell you what the mentality is like when, when, when I'm glassing something like this, it's like, okay, this is a pretty small patch of cover and I was able to get pretty close to it. I would say we were a hundred yards from the edge of it and I can see most of, of it, not all of it, but most of it. And I remember thinking if I see a deer in here, then we'll make a move to get in the bedding area with them. But if we don't see a deer, then we'll wait and give it a couple hours. We'll give it a couple hours, see if we see anything. And if there's no deer in here, then we'll move on. But like I had decided I'm committed to trying to spot a deer in here. And I sat down and I was like laying on, I crawled up to where nothing could see me or smell me. And I was looking just over the lip of that sand road that we had spooked the buck on. And I just started dissecting every little every little spot of it i'm going back and forth and i mean my mentality i remember even having you know after five minutes even you're like ah is this worth it and then i was like you know what who, who cares like what do you got to lose at this point like just sit here and see if he's there because if he is you're in the game and if he's not then who cares yeah. like you in the next spot right but but if you get impatient you move up there and bump him then it all was you know wasn't worth it even to sit there especially if you sit there for like 45 minutes or an hour and you get impatient. But anyhow, I ended up picking out, you know, going through every little, you know, moving branch out there. And all of a sudden I remember it just plain as day, like the lighting changed and all of a sudden his antlers just were glowing and I could just see like why he was, he was, you know, it was early September. So I think that was September 6th. Um, so his antlers were still really white. Like he had yeah. been rubbed things and have any, and as soon as the light hit him, it was just like, that's the big buck. Like that's the one that we just jumped from a couple nights ago. And I mean, to make a long story short, I ended up crawling to 19 yards of him and shooting him as soon as he stood up. So it's like that, that's, that's the mentality I think, or that's what mentality works for me is like, 
what do I have to lose sitting here? Yeah. Really nothing. You know, the, the only thing I have to lose is if I get impatient. And then then you got a potential of bumping something that you could have seen if you were just patient. So And that's and that's the hard part about being on the ground is it's easier to be impatient than if you were in a tree stand because it's a or a saddle or whatever, because it's harder to really get yourself out and move to a different place. When you're on the ground, I know I struggle with it. It's like well, I can just move. I can just literally get stand up and walk. You know, yeah. <laughs> just like just pick your feet up and you're gone. And and it is difficult, but like I think I think you kind of it's something that I I battled with myself like a ton. Like I'm super impatient. That's why I got out of the tree in the first place. But I think I think it becomes a different type of patience. Like your your the way that you're patience works just continues to evolve and like i totally got up too soon and blown stuff i mean i know i know it happens all the time it still does but you just kind of have to reach that point where it's like i i always think of it as like like be honest with yourself look at you look at the time like you've got an entire day out here like and, and that's another thing i quit i quit like doing like half day hunts unless it really calls for it or i really want to do something you know or like i want to go back to the truck and do something different but like if I walk like way back into the hills of Ohio, you know, I'm hunting the day. Like I'm not coming back out of there. Yeah. You know, I don't want to walk back to the truck. I mean, unless something's really, unless I bump into a bunch of new hunting pressure or something, you know, there's always exceptions, but it's like, if it's nine o'clock and I'm feeling impatient, it's like, maybe don't be impatient at nine o'clock. <laughs> like you got a whole day, like chill out. If this, if it feels good, just hang on it, glass it, like, be patient, look for something moving through and, you know, a lot of times when you do that, then you pick up on something that puts you closer to being in the game. And, and it's no different with spotting and, you know, spot and stock. I think you just got to really be patient and be patiently aggressive, you know. And if you're like me and you can't, like, just sit still for a long time, like, don't be afraid to move glassing spots a little bit or, you know, I mean, get up and do some push-ups. Like, I don't know, like, do something to move around and get your blood flowing because you can get lethargic if you glass for a bunch you know for a long time you're not doing anything like that that's one thing that i i don't like about being patient is sometimes is you can get lethargic and your body can get stiff and and you're not in your prime versus like when you're moving around you're still hunting and you're you're warmed up like if all of a sudden you need to make a real quick move you feel good and you do it effectively but you sit and you get tired and get lethargic and (laughs) and then it's like ah you know i don't know you get lazy yeah no definitely don't be afraid to like move a little bit, but just be smart with it and, you know, don't take unnecessary risks, I guess. Man, that mentality too is like, can be transferable to anywhere where like, if you say, you know, a guy or girl is going out for a weekend, they got like a Saturday to hunt or whatever, like in Pennsylvania, since we can't hunt Sundays, you got Saturday yeah. and that's your day of the week to hunt, like mm-hmm. hunt. Don't, you know, if you yeah. have this plan, like, oh, I'm going to hunt till... 9 9 a.m go back to the truck go home you know do some stuff Eat come back out on sunday or something yeah like right. make because like once you have that one you don't because if you know that you're planning on getting out of the tree at, or, or 
leaving your glassing spot or whatever at 9 a.m., just giving that as an example, then that's what you're looking at. You're looking at your time, you're doing that. But if you're out there for the day and just kind of in it the whole time, and, you know, like I'll do that early season whitetail where I'll be out and then maybe maybe I'll move positions, maybe I'll move trees, or maybe I'll do a little scouting over in this spot, like in the middle of the day. But you're always still in the game at that point rather than – because obviously if you're back at the truck, you're not – not doing a whole hell of a lot good for you. <laughs> like even if you do go back to the truck, it's like try to minimize that time that you're at the truck. Like grab what you need, you know, grab like grab food, take it with you, don't eat it at the truck. Like like even the day that we got back to that spot in North Dakota, the day before we killed the buck, Jake and I did the bare minimum at the truck. We moved spots, we moved a good a good little drive and when we got out, we boiled water, put it into like our freeze dried meal container, you know, and packed it in and like just let the water do its thing as we were walking in, you know. And then when we got to the classing spot, then we sat there and ate it. But by the time we were eating, we were already spotting deer from yeah. our class. So it's like it was worth it. And I and I I just think when you're maximizing time yeah, is huge you can you can mess around and like waste a whole bunch of time real fast and like i never have enough time in the day it's it's hilarious like looking at it now like I, i'm always like man i just wish there was like more hours in the day you know and i'll be out in the woods from you know an hour before daylight till an hour after dark and there's still not enough time and it cracks me up because it's like man i used to go back to town and eat food and then drive all the way back it's just like what a waste it's like i don't do that anymore i I used to do it all the time and i and i just it's funny because i hunt way more hours now in a day but i feel like i need more time than i did then and i think it's just because i found a way to make use of all the time you know and it's just ultimately more better success too just more opportunities i think yeah. I mean, like, and I know, like I used to, I'd come back and, and if it was a spot like within 15 minutes of my house, I'd come back and I'd lay down on the couch for a little bit, you know, relax. Well, then it's harder to get up and then you wait <laughs> yeah. longer and longer and then you're rushing to try to get to your spot, like to get to the prime time, you know, and it's like, a, I, I can't do it. It's a mental, it's a mental, you know, just well, screws you get, me. You get lethargic, man. Lethargic is weird. Like it's a, it's a thing that I've noticed. Um, like if I don't drink enough water, I don't eat enough. Eating less than water, but if I don't drink enough water and I don't continue moving a little bit, I start getting lazy and like just not as willing. Like even when even when it's like, ooh, this is a pretty good chance to put ourselves in the game. It's like I don't know. I just kind of feel lazy, and like that sucks. Like when you feel that way, it's just never. And we we've all been there. We all know what that feeling is. That yeah. just like. Like you're sitting in the sun and maybe didn't drink enough water and maybe you're hungry and you're just like, Ugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, so when this, when this podcast releases here, I'll be, I'll, it, I think it'll be like when I'm scouting on my mule deer hunt and like, so I'm going to get a lot of time to spend behind the glass, even though that's in the high country different than what we're talking about. Like, you got to have some strategies to be able to stay in the game, you know, because if you're just sitting there looking behind your glass at every hour of the day, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to wear on you and get a little lethargic. (laughs) I think, I honestly think that's something that like, 
stand up and do you know some squats and some push-ups and just like mix it up get your blood flowing i'm not saying do a full-blown workout just stretch out like because sometimes man burpees you, just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you get you just get so stiff and it, it's funny so that that buck um in north dakota i ended up getting classic zach impatience and i was like you know those are pretty nice bucks and the one the one i was we were we, we had spotted some bucks the night prior went back the next morning relocated them where they moved into bed we didn't know exactly where they were and i'm glad we didn't because it ended up working out better anyway but um they didn't know exactly where they were and i was like you know what this is where i want to be patient i don't want to go in there stalking these deer when we don't know exact i mean talking and want to see their tines in their bed you know yeah and we just didn't we knew where they were we knew pretty much exactly where they were but we didn't know down to the yard and that makes it much more difficult to stalk um not that you can't do it in a different situation i would totally but we could see the whole world from up there let's put it this way they weren't going to get out of there without us knowing it you know so it's like at some point today they're going to shift beds and we're going to get eyes on them and we'll know exactly where they are so I got impatient and I was like, you know, I think there is more to see if I keep following this ridge out. So I left to those guys, Jake and um, Greg and, and Gooch was on his way to meet up with us at that point. And uh, we started walking in or I started walking in deeper into the public and I was following this ridge out and I started getting back in there and like, I don't know, Jake and I talk about this all the time. You start to get that like, eerie feel maybe you and i talked about yeah too. yeah we have <laughs> i like i shouldn't be here you know and i like bumped some pronghorn which i hadn't seen pronghorn in this piece yet and i'm like ooh, like that that means something because like they're hanging out in a spot where like not a lot of people go and i just kept getting back in there and you know, i kept getting kind of that eerie feel and the wind was picking up and i'm like man, like something just feels big bucky. And all of a sudden, man, I crawled up and over and peeked over a cliff and I looked right at him and he was standing there with his head up browsing. And I was just like, that's, that's the one. (laughs) (laughs) And he was all by himself and I just got hit the deck, started, you know, got glass on him. And I started like calling, I called those guys and I started making a video and in the meantime, I like all of a sudden I looked down, I'm like, well, where'd he go? And I, you know, honed back in there and I got picked him up, but he had bedded down. I'm like, this couldn't be any more ideal. Like these guys are on their way to me. I've got him, you know, his exact coordinates. <laughs> He's laying right there and I can see him from this spot and they're on their way. Like we're going to be able to stop him here in minutes. And immediately, I think this is important. Like, as soon as I know where he's at, I'm picking landmark. Like, now that he's down embedded, less than, I, I don't know, like, you're planning the route, but you're also, like, trying to remember that from your glassing point, it's probably going to look different down there. So how do I get as many landmarks as possible? Like, okay, that dead tree with the crooked branch that leans off the right side like that's going to be our landmark. That's going to be our first landmark to get to. Once we get to that, we're going to have to be really careful until we get to that tree with the yellow leaves on it. And yeah. then when we're at that tree with the yellow leaves, 
will follow that tree down to this tree with the different color and blah, 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 blah. You know, and you're just trying to pick out as many. And some places are easier than others. Actually, this particular hunt that we're talking about, the North Dakota one, it was brutal trying to pick out where that deer was because he was in the same old, like every tree was cottonwood and all the brush understory was exactly the same height and there was no difference in it at all. The only thing we were doing was picking dead trees. And if you go back and you watch that video, you'll hear us talk about like the dead trees and you'll see us check our phone because we took, I took pictures from the top and I knew which tree he was under from just my wide angle camera on my photo or on my phone, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I know where he's at. Then I'm going to rep back, you know, I'm going to reference all this stuff. And the other thing that was handy is because those guys were up above and they could see him, they would just consistently give us the thumbs up. Like if, if, which he never moved, but you know, if we're good, they're just giving us the thumbs up. That's just giving me the confidence. So if you have a spotter, you know, coming up with some simple like hand, you know, um, what am I thinking of? Hand, hand signals. Hand signals. Yeah. I couldn't hand signals. <laughs> you know, given something like, even like, hey, you got to move to the right a little bit. Hey, you got to move to the left a little bit. Just something real basic. Don't get, I, I think it's one of those deals like you could get real crazy and, and start getting, but that gets confusing. If you're spotting for someone, just make some stuff simple. Like, hey, he's still bedded. Thumbs up. Keep going. He's right where you think he is. You know, just keep going. Or, you need to go to the right a little bit more or whatever, but don't get too crazy with it. So those guys are just giving us the thumbs up. And, you know, the first thing was, you know, how do we get the wind in our favor? We dropped off that ridge um, that we saw him on, got down on his level. And, of course, it just looks like a whole different universe then. You're like, <laughs> it looked it was so simple when we were up there and now we're down here. And it's like, what can he see? You know, if he stands up, is he going to be able to see us? Do we have to crawl? Should we walk? Should we do? But like, this is the most important part. I think from the time we start to the time we get in like that danger zone, I would say danger zone is being 60 yards. It's like, you want to cut that distance fast. Like if he's bedded at any given point, he's on his own time. He's not yeah. on our time. He's on his time. And if you know exactly where he is, that's the time that you want to just push it. And like, I actually, um, think like, you know, I mean, just running, like straight up run, like get there yeah. now. Don't mess around because at any given point, he, he makes a little move and, um, moves beds or whatever. And you don't see it, especially if you don't have a spotter or something. It's like, if he moves 10 yards towards you and you, you know, that could be what makes it breaks it. You know, if all of a sudden he's way closer most of the time, I don't think that's going to happen if you kind of stick to that, like, prime time stalking time. Like, if if he's bedded, at, I think he was. I think he was bedded right about 10 a.m. So, like, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., he's probably, like, not moving much. But, again, 10 yards can make a difference. So, just trying to cut that initial distance fast. And then we just, like, got down on his level got to where there was a patch of trees that we were in and there was a big opening and then the patch of trees he was in. And because I was unsure of like if he could see or not, I figured he probably could see us if we were just straight up standing up. So just to play it completely safe, we got on hands and knees and just started crawling. It was like hundreds of yards, but just, you know, 
put your nose down and start crawling. It was super uncomfortable. Jake, <laughs> Jake did like his hat, his hand in his hat. So that way when he would put his hand down on the hat, he wouldn't get all those like thistles and everything on his hands. It's yeah. Pretty, that is smart. Know, I think you, I think you see him do it in the video. I don't know though, but he, I remember him talking about it. Like, man, that was a game changer for me. I could just put my hat in my hand and just crawled on that. Yeah. <laughs> So we did that and then we got in tight and I mean, the wind was howling. That's a good point. The wind was always in our favor, which I, man, that was like the only thing that he did wrong. I think is he just didn't really put himself in a position where he couldn't see enough for as windy as it was. And that was his mistake that day is like he could not see anything from his bed. He was bedded. I I mean, we could have, in hindsight, knowing the exact situation, we could have like ran to 60 yards and he would have never saw us because he was where, where he was bedded. He was low enough. He could only see what was right immediately in front of him. Like, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, it was super weird and it was super windy. And I don't know if like maybe that was because of the conditions, you know, maybe because it was windy. He liked to be down in that stuff where, you know, if you if you sat all the way down on the ground and got that brush above your head, it was pretty nice in there. It was like calm. But again, he couldn't see anything. So we ended up getting to a point. He, he stood up in the middle of all this and I, we never, we didn't know it. Um, that because we were so low, we couldn't see him. But in the video, you can see that he stands up and he kind of looks around. I think he's probably just heard something falling because there was cottonwood branches falling and stuff. But I think he probably just heard something and stood up real quick and looked around. But we kind of got to where we we're like, now like all of a sudden it's like well what exactly happened is i looked up at gooch and greg on the hill and gooch is giving me three zero i'm like and i had just like right before that thought i wonder if that's the tree that he's under and i look at gooch and he's giving me a three zero i remember turning to jake and being like he's right here because like it all clicked on one moment like that is the tree that he's under and like i almost I almost thought it wasn't, but then, you know, whatever. It just all kind of dawned on me all at once. It's like we got together and then it started getting real serious. Like I'm ranging trees and it's like he's either at 22 yards or he's at 35 yards. And I'm like, I think he's at 22, not 35. Because there's two trees that looked exactly the same. Like they had the same lean. They had the same characteristics as what I could tell from up there. We're close enough to the dead tree now that we have, you know, whatever, that we had marked that it's like, we're right in his grill now. And this was like, (laughs) I think this is so funny because I I remember even in a moment, Jake and I looking at each other, like every other son of a gun would think we're crazy for doing this. But it's like, we're 20, we're convinced we're 22 yards from him. Pretty low odds that we're 30 from him. But our solution to it is, well, let's just keep getting closer. (laughs) 22 yards from him. It's like, you know, a pretty standard bow shot and we're like no let's get closer so we start kind of scurrying in between the two trees just in case he is over to the left but we'll get low and we stand up cover and the wind's blowing only moving with wind and at this point it's like a snail's pace it's like the wind blows i push my bow up in front of me and then i pull my body up to where my bow is then i you know jake does it wind dies off for a second we wait move up, you know, whatever. We end up getting to a position where we kind of get a little bit of brush in front of us and I get up on my get up on my knees and the first thing I do is I put an arrow on. 
I don't know where he's at. Again, I still think he's at, you know, this tree kind of quartered to our left or this tree that's right in front of us. And now this tree is like 15 yards away from us, the closer one. And don't know for sure where he's at and end up just like, <laughs> he ends up just standing up and just on his own. He wasn't, I, well, I don't think he picked up on anything. You know, I would assume if he smelled us, he would have got the hell out of there. But he just kind of stood up and looked around. And then Jake, because Jake was up filming with the camera, he was sticking up higher. I was all the way down. Yeah. And that's one thing that, like, you know, I think maybe a little bit difficult to understand from just watching the video. And, like, I'm never, ever, like, Jake always nails the footage. So, like, I'm not, not like, complaining about this. It's just reality. Like, when you're filming camera is usually at about your shoulder so like you got to get up and therefore that head and shoulder kind of starts to peek out of that cover mm -hmm. and that buck picked up on him whips his head around and starts looking at him well meanwhile i'm completely below the cover like the deer cannot see me i can't see his eyes but i can see his his tines are basically just sticking up for me and i can read his body language by reading those tines and i just drew low kept reading his body language and eventually he turned and when he turned i just had just a such a subtle little window and i popped up just he was like 12 yards away so i didn't have to do much thinking i just punched it right through that tall grass and i mean he that was it <laughs> yeah yeah uh, that and that's that's crazy 12 yards that you you <laughs> snuck into and that, and that takes it i mean i know you say you're not patient but that takes a lot of a lot of patience to crawl that slow for that far like i know they said the importance of getting there fast and getting into that position but then that final approach is like just killer and you know i'm you know, i've been thinking about that for you know the mule deer and stuff that i'm doing you know do i take my boots off do i gotta do this like all these different things to get into that final that final spot it, here's it, it's a mentality thing man i really think it is it's like it's like the, it, you almost have to go into you, you know when you're playing i don't know i played i played a lot of sports sports was a big part of my life when i was younger and it's like you got to be so much in the zone that like nothing else exists. That's like what happens to me. It's like, I always think of it like this. If I start getting too ahead of myself again, that's when I'm going to mess something up. Now, if I were to, you know, you get into that, like, I guess we'll just call it the danger zone since that's what I said earlier. You get into that point where it's like, if I break one stick, it's over. You know, if I, if I take one you know, if I crawl a little bit too far to the right, my wind might hit him. It's like when you get to that point, you got to be like so particular, like, and, and you do it when you're playing like uh, when you're playing sports or whatever you're playing. It, and it's like real true competition. That's when like the true competition, in my opinion, of hunting, because it's me versus him in that moment, like all his skills versus all my like predator skills. And I got to just lose myself to uncomforts, you know, if I put my hand, if I'm looking at him and I'm reading his body language and I got to try to get five more yards in and I put my hand right in the cactus, if I flinch, it's over. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah. that, that's the type of stuff where it's like, I got to be so mentally tough that I don't let anything like get in the way. Because as soon as you do, man, like that's, that's what happens. That's why, you know, and like, ah, 
you know, when, when things go wrong, a lot of times it's like, ah, oh, I went, I went to draw my bow and my, my cam got caught on the, the, the piece of brush in front of me and I hitched and I couldn't get drawn in time and then he's gone. It's like all those little things, that's when it becomes like, you have to be ultra sensitive to all those little factors and, 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 and be able to like fight through the pain of, I mean, the uncomfort. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uncomfort because it's not going to be com- like I guarantee you, about any situation you're crawling on an animal it's not going to be comfortable like you go pronghorn hunting for a couple days and, and you realize that real quick it's like that's great practice too by the way like if anybody's ever interested in stalking stuff you know like practice doing in practice stalking anything in the summertime you're watching deer out in bean fields like see what you can get away with you know because that's when you can be aggressive and you can just like you can do that like cutting a bunch of dip, turns its head and it's feeding and you run 10 yards and they get down again you know that's the time you can learn oh i can get away with that oh i can't get away with this you know oh it told me in this situation i think i think practicing is important you know you, sh- you should practice um stalking i think if it's something you're interested in doing yeah, I just I did a podcast a few months ago with the guy Sam Davis from Wyoming, and he talks about he in the summertime he's he's a rancher and he goes out and he'll just stalk deer while he's on and like just see what he can do and, and Dude, in the summer in the summer if I see an animal I'm chasing it like I'm I'm getting closer to it like I've crawled <laughs> on raccoons in turkey season <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, see, hey, let me see if I can go grab this raccoon's tail. You know, I mean, I'm never going to, but like, you know, it's like you get real close to stuff like that. And again, you learn when you fail, you learn what you can and can't get away with. Yeah. And most, most people, I think, that try to put a stock on something, they just like have never practiced and never, and therefore they don't know like the details of what. And it's funny too, man, because like, I, I, I always laugh, and my friend Grant and I, we were hunting one time, and we were laughing. He just started laughing, you know. We're just sitting there, and he just starts laughing. He's like, I'm like, what are you laughing about? He's like, it's just so hilarious how one minute we can just be full sprint, carrying a canoe and a bow and a camera, and we're running to the river, throwing the canoe into the water, and then, like, within 10 minutes, we're, like, you know, crawling in a such an extremely particular, yeah. you know, fine detail. It's like, it's just the pace changes. And like, you know, when you practice stalking things, you learn what paces work in what situations and what don't. And like, the more you do it, the more that you just kind of get that like confidence to where it's like, I'm getting there. Like, I'm yeah. going to get there. Like, and I love it, man. And it becomes so competitive. Like, there's nothing like that gets me as fired up as stalking a bedded deer because it's like, this is like the most, I guess the most, especially with a bow. It's like, this is where it gets pretty like predator versus prey. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) it's not ambush. It's like, well, it's not like sitting from an ambush location and waiting for them to come to you. Like you would in a setup. It's like, I'm going to you and I'm going to kill you in your bed, which is like pretty, pretty mountain lion, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I would say. <laughs> yeah. And it's like when you get yeah, getting in that zone, I mean, I always, I always, 
here like my when my dad does a lot you've talked about him before but like the still hunting thing like you know when he's going to an area and you can walk a little faster you get into that cut where you're starting to go and he's like when you're going slow when you think you're going slow go slower and just like focusing because you just never know when that is going to happen there's a similar mentality like to actually you know the spot and stalking game and it yeah it's 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 a definitely a learned art and you got to be you focused to to be able to to do it and and that moment when you are that present with every little thing is like its own rush in itself like you, then you, you long for those moments again cuz it's like there's not one there's not anything else i can think of where you're that present in the moment and what is going on around you yeah man it's something weird i mean it's like Something weird happened to me even when we were about to stalk that buck. Like the amount of emotions that came over me was like so it was like such a powerful moment because I'm like, hey, I'm going to truly do like my favorite thing ever. And like it was such a weird rush where it was like I can't tell if I'm like about to just like scream in like a rage or if I'm gonna like tear up. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love this so much that like and you can actually, it's its really funny. I left it in there on purpose when I was editing and I even put a little text in there. Like there's this clip of me walking and you can still hear my wireless mic, but I'm a good ways away. And I just go, because I'm like, just like, like letting go. Like I'm just trying to like reset a little bit because I just had such a surge of like, ah, like we're doing it. It's awesome. I'm pumped. Like, and I just had to like, try to level back out a little bit, but yeah. I was fired up, dude. Like, I mean, really, that was a weird one. I, I'll never forget how like amped I was right before that. It Think was like, about how weird that is. Like you're, you're so amped up in your head and then you got to do something so slow and so particular and you're like, yeah, yeah. You're <laughs> you lucky know. the deer didn't see the whites in your eyes. Like, you know, it's like your eyes are wide, bug eyed open. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. Yeah, it, it is. You know, my, my friend Shane, uh, Shane is a buddy of mine from New York, um, and he was there after um, I shot I shot a buck in New York that I had stalked up on, and um, he, he had talked about the patience thing, like, man, I just don't have the patience, and it's like, I don't have, I wouldn't consider, you know, it's funny, because I don't consider myself to have patience. I don't have patience to sit, but I have patience have patience to like slowly move and it's just it is something like trial and error and and you know for those like listening that are like man i really want to get into it it's it's don't get discouraged because it's something that i've been doing this now this like style of hunting since like it's been evolving since 2016 you know like 2016 was the first year that i ever got out and got on the ground and started like running around. I didn't shoot a buck in 2016 off the ground. I shot one from a tree stand, but then the following year I did a little more. And then the next year I did it a lot more. And then the next year I don't hard. I had sat in a stand once. And last year, I don't know that I sat, I don't know that I got into a tree setup last year. I don't think I did, but you know, if it's something that you want to do, like just have like patience with yourself too. And the fact that like, you know, you're going to blow some stocks. You're going to blow some opportunities, but like just be patient with yourself, I guess, and give yourself like be, be happy about that failure because the next time, 
you're going to know, Hey, I can't get away with that. Or I need to pay attention to my bow a little bit more and not get it hung up on something or whatever it may be. Just, you know, it's one of those deals. Like you got, you're almost like relearning to hunt in a way, you know, you're relearning, you learn one style and then it's like, okay, I'm going to, and maybe you just want to broaden up your, your skill set. Maybe you're like, maybe you're not like me and you don't like it as much as wanting to do it a hundred percent of the time. Like a great example of that is, um, uh, Andy may Andy and I, maybe you're familiar with yeah, Andy. Yeah, I know Andy well. So he, um, him and I talk and we're always talking about like, you know, stalking and stuff and getting into that. But he told me, you know, he's like, I just like to have, you know, all these different strategies that I can put into place based on the situation. And it's like, um, you know, even if it's, even if that's your reason, it's like, you gotta, you're going to have to like relearn something, I guess. It's just where you're, we're all so, you know, from, I mean, from the time I started hunting in like the late nineties till all the way till really recently till like whitetail adrenaline is the first person I saw doing it. It's just like, nobody was hunting this way. Yeah. Like, so nobody learned how to do this by a mentor. I'm sure, I'm sure people did your dad is a great example but like nobody we, that's mainstream that you're watching do it or anything right yeah right it's not a popular thing it's actually i mean it's actually at when when i first started doing it like i felt wrath from people like hate hated me for it because it was so like not you know quote unquote following the rules and it's like geez I don't know. One way to do it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. I can read some of those comments, man. It's like, dude. Really? Like, oh, yeah. It's kind of weird. Oh, kinda that's, weird. that's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't get under my skin. It's just like, dude, who cares? Like, I don't, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not telling anybody they have to do it. It's just like, I think it's just one of those things like, oh, yeah. It, it made me love hunting even more. So, if it does that for somebody else, like, you know, not everybody's, you know, built to do it that, you know, same way. So it's like, why would we make it seem like it has to be, you know, so this is weird. Yeah. But it, yeah, everyone's got their own style and you can go with, you know, as we talked about in the last time we had a podcast, yeah. make it fun. However you consider it fun, I guess. <laughs> but anyways, Zach, that was, that was a great episode i enjoyed uh getting to talk to you a little bit about that i know i know that's one of the things you love to do and as anybody could hear in this by your excitement and i wish i wish i was recording a video of it because like (laughs) the amount of hand movement and motion that was thrown into it is hilarious so uh thank you for for coming back on yeah you bet man i had a blast i appreciate you having me i love talking i love talking stuff and stuff (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And for anyone listening, go check out the hunting public's videos on YouTube as this year's, I'm sure going to be jam packed like the others. And, uh, from the sounds of it, you guys are splitting up even more with a bigger crew. Like there's going to, I'm assuming a lot of content coming out of it. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of stuff. I mean, right out of the gate, we've got like, I mean, before, before September 10th, I'd say we'll have four like hunts complete, you know, uh, like four like little series out already so jeez well, at least recorded yeah depends on how fast we are at editing but we'll do our best yeah <laughs> oh that's awesome 
Well, thanks again for coming on, Zach. I I greatly appreciate it and uh, good luck to you. Yeah, good luck to you too, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.